you think that 53-year-old Mike Smith is horse racing Superman? Well, I'll see your Mike Smith and I'll raise you 55-year-old Jose Ferrer. Wait until you hear his Superman feat. Plus, it was 100 years ago that the top-rated horse of the 20th century, Man of War, suffered the only loss of his legendary career. We'll take a nuanced look back on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They will sign. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch, it's a hip-hopping finish. This is In the Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In the Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In the Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In the Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. There are 206 bones in the human body. And chances are, if you're a jockey, you've broken several of them during your career along with a bunch of other things. You would think that younger riders would heal faster than older ones, and in most cases, you'd be right. Unless, of course, we're talking about Jose Ferrer. On the Sunday of July 4th weekend, Ferrer was riding in the fourth race at Monmouth Park, riding a horse named Metallic, when this happened. The best candy eager on the inside of Metallic, who now moves up to engage the front runner. Two more back to Kenyon, who's called on fourth. Oh, no! We had a bad spill there around the far turn. Both number one, the best candy and metallic. The best candy and metallic went down around the far turn. Metallic, unfortunately, was euthanized after the race. Ferrer went down hard and suffered a fracture in his upper spine near his neck, as well as a fractured rib. The higher up the trauma, the worse the potential prognosis. Fortunately, there was no paralysis, and Ferrer was told he would only miss about four weeks of action. That, under the circumstances, would be welcome news to most jockeys. But believe it or not, Ferrer returned just ten days later on Haskell Day. As you may know, the first two races on Haskell Day were run before the delay for the heat. That's a whole other story. And guess what happened in the first of those races? And the leader is Captain Sam Narrowly. There's room for Valuable Package along the inside. They're joined by Buffs in Love. Valuable Package comes through smartly with a furlong left to go. Buffs in Love on the outside is challenging. These two are head and head. Captain Sam is in between them. And Buffs in Love kicks it into high gear. Jose Ferrer is back. Buffs in Love wins it by two. And just for good measure... Ferrer also won the Wolf Hill Stakes after the mid-afternoon heat break on Haskell Day. I am, I am Superman, and I can do anything. So let's welcome in Thoroughbred Racing's Man of Steel, jockey Jose Ferrer, for the first time here to win the gate. First of all, how do you feel? I feel fantastic. I feel thanks. You know, uh, I was blessed with one opportunity from a God, you know, to bless me, uh, the way I am right now, everything's great. Everything's uh, so fantastic. Uh, better than ever. Better than I was uh, 20 years ago. Really good. Well, you certainly sounded, but how is it possible that you feel so well so soon after suffering a spinal <laughs> fracture? Yeah, I have a C5, small fraction C5. I'm uh, 
uh, two uh, small fights, you know, uh, ribs, uh, number five and number two off. You know, uh, just a lot of prayer. A lot of prayer, prayer, you know, a lot of people pray for me. Um, I just have so much faith in my God, you know, my God, Jesus. I'm, uh, it's fantastic. You know, the man of faith is too wonderful for you, man. You know, you believe in him. Um, you have a lot of faith in, in, in that. I take, you take care of yourself very well. You could accomplish that, that, a lot of things in life. What did your family say when you suffered these injuries? Your wife, your adult daughters, and even your young sons. What did they say? Yeah, my boy, Derek. Uh, he's five years old. He'll be fighting next month. I got Joey. He's three. You know, they don't know too much. They're just happy to see Daddy back. You know, they was praying for me, and they were like, uh, Daddy, you okay? I'm, uh, you're they okay? They, they, don't, like, they don't know very well what happened, but they know I'm okay, so that's only they know. But it's, you know, it's great, you know, to have them by my side. How did you feel not only returning, but winning the first race of this little comeback on Haskell Day? It was fantastic. It was so emotional because I was telling my doctor when I went to, to see him the first time that I was feeling pretty good. The following, like a Monday, I went down on Sunday. On Monday, I get up, I think I'm going to be all achy. You know, I told my dad, I feel great. I'll take zero pain, no pills, nothing, you know, no time or nothing. I just get up in the morning. I feel it to be a, a, a tight, my muscles. So when I went down, I went down forward uh, with my face. So I cut on my mouth. Um, uh, I was more body sore than anything. You know, I was explaining that to my doctor. My doctor wanted me to stay up for four weeks. And I said, wait a minute. I want you to take another exercise because I feel really good. So he told me, come back in the following week, we take more x-rays, and we go from there. So I tried to explain to him that I was, I feel great. I said, man, I don't feel no pain at all. You know, I feel really, really good. So we went from that, you know. Then the following week, I went back, we take more x-rays, and saw this small little crack, not big, not, you know, was uh, not big. I was like, you, you're good to go. So he let me go for the high school day. Now, for those of our listeners who don't know, this isn't the first time that Jose Ferrer has rebounded so quickly from a devastating spill. In September of 2017, Ferrer broke nine ribs and three vertebrae, suffered a collapsed lung and a five-horse spill at Delaware. Supposed to be out more than six months, returned in two and a half. So, sir, what was it like trying to come back from that? (laughs) You have a lot of faith in God. You know, a lot of people spring for me. Um, uh, you know, just, you know, God, God is crazy. God is crazy. That's all I have to say. God is crazy. People here, they, you know, you guys pray for the God. Anything happened out there. And they told me six months. I was writing in two months. Two and a half months, I was already my first month. How hard was your rehabilitation? And how much of that healing is physical and how much is mental, do you think? I think it's, uh, you know, 50-50. You got to be mentally strong. You know, I'll become these injuries and you have to be uh, willing to uh, put the time into, you know what I mean? Because, uh, uh, you know, when you start to work it out, you have, you know, it's going to be a lot of, you know, pain and, and um, ups and downs. So you have to be strong physical and mentally to just keep going and say, you know what, I'm going to overcome that. You know, every time, like everything was hurt a lot. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like obstacle. You got to go overcome the obstacle and just, I just keep going. got to keep going. Jockey Jose Ferrer is with us here on In the Gate. Now, that comeback he just mentioned helped him win the George Wolf Award last year, given by Santa Anita each year since 1950 to a jockey who demonstrates high standards of personal and professional conduct 
both on and off the track. What did winning that award mean to you, sir? That was that was the best ever because uh, not only that, uh, when the Jewish, you know, they pick only like five riders out of how you know all all the county of riders. You talk about thousands of riders to win that award. That meant to me the whole world. You know, what I mean, uh, it, it, it was amazing because a lot of you know uh, only jockeys could vote for that. So it, it mean it, it kind of like told me you know I did something because all these kids they work both for me. You know, all these riders, they have a respect, and they'll both, you know, to me, to win that award. That was unbelievable. If it was unbelievable, I told my wife, I said, man, what accomplishment. You know, it was, it was a blessing in the sky. Um, unreal. Unreal. Now, last year, at age 53, you're one of the few to whom I speak who's actually older than I am, you won the yeah, riding title at Monmouth Park just one year after that horrific accident at Delaware. What did it mean not just to win that title, but to do it so soon after the injury? Yeah, it was, it was like I said again, I was blessed. I'm blessed for the ministry. Jesus so great to me. Uh, I was great because I always want to be a little riding mammoth. I've been riding almost uh, 35 years. Um, when I came to this country in 82, I came to this track in Mammoth Park. So that was one of my wishes to be a little rider in my own part. And last year I accomplished that to George, win the George World Award, to win the, you know, Mammoth title it was amazing, amazing. I just came. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Enough for all these gifts that the, the Jesus keep thrown to me. It's unbelievable. You know, faith. Out of faith, man. I tell you, thank you, Lord. Well, you have faith. You also have family, including. Yeah. A family that very much has riding in it, an uncle and several cousins, including Cece Lopez, who was a regular on the New York circuit for many years. You have the most wins of all of them, around 4,400. So was the atmosphere with all of you more competitive or supportive or both? Pretty much supportive than anything because we don't roll against each other a lot of years. I wasn't, you know... Uh, on Jersey, Chuck was in New York. They're like my uncle was almost retired when I came in. You know, there was more support. The the competition, we never competed with you know against one each other. We all support. Like all the time when they raise hey, Chucky, you know, good for you, Jose, cause there was a lot of support. There was extremely so much support between me and my cousin and my uncle. And now I got support of my wife. I got a, my wife is unbelievable. You know, obviously Steffi. You know, she's my energy battery, I call her. You know, someone <laughs> energy she put on me. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. How conscious are you of trying to pass along all that knowledge you've gained to the next generation of riders? I always talk to the kids. You know me. Uh, I always tell the kids to put the time into everything. I, you know, everything I could do for the kids. All the young riders, I do it. They all ask me. You know, about my experience, like I did that. You know, a long time ago, when I came around, my uncle told me the same thing. You have to get advice for all the riders because one day you're going to be in that position. So when you're in that position, you know what to do next. You know what I mean? That's why the knowledge I would try to explain to the kids, like uh, they explained to me before, you know, I try to, you know, put myself in that situation. I did that 20 years ago. You know, whatever you guys need, anything or any questions come to me, I will be my pleasure to, uh, tell you guys, you know, what to do in that position because I've been there already. So that's pretty much the knowledge I try to explain to them. Come to me. I'll talk to you guys. It's no problem. You know, we're going to have that position between 3A pole or something between horses, what to do. 
you know what to do to be prepared. As my uncle always tells me, talk to the old riders. When that comes, you know what I mean? You're in that position, you prepare to make a, a quick, quick reaction in any kind of race. Now, Mike Smith turns 54 on August the 10th, and obviously he's been going strong. And with his success, he can cut back the number of mounts and just go for the lucrative ones to save his body. What's your approach to riding these days at age 55? Yeah, I feel great. You know, I just like to, you know, I just pretty much appreciate more, you know, enjoying more because, you know, sometimes when you're young, you don't, young guy, you don't, you don't appreciate uh, this time. Because you're always going to have names day. But now, in my age, I know I don't have too much left. So I like to enjoy and appreciate more. That's what I'm doing. I just enjoy it. I love the game. Because I know it's going to come to the end soon. So I just want to... I, I, first of all, I don't think about it. I just wait. Whatever in the middle of the day, tell me to stop. I stop. Right now, it's time to keep going. So I'm going to keep going. Um, I, enjoy, I just enjoy every minute more and more and more. You know, you get older, get smarter, get wisdom. You know me, and, and, and you appreciate more every time you see yourself like I'm me. Look at myself under 55. All the kids in the Jackson, they're like 20, 25 top. You know, they're like half of my, you know, I'm 20. You know, they're half of my age. And I still compete. It's trying to give things. It's just a pleasure. It's all, sometimes it's overwhelming, you know, to just, man, I'm here. Look around. This kid's 24. This guy, you know, I'm, uh, I'm only not too many of, uh, you know, over 40. You know, you got Joe Bravo, he's over 40, and all that. They're pretty much under 30s, all the kids over there. Well, yeah, it's certainly deflating when I see people at ESPN who weren't born when I started my job 26 years ago. <laughs> but I don't do what you do. It's incredible that you can have the same kind of situation. We wish you continued success in the future, sir. Thank you so much for a few minutes. Thank you so much, and just keep praying the Lord, man. Keep praying the Lord. Most of us humans are hardwired to remember or focus on what is wrong, not what is right. So even though the great man of war won 20 races in his legendary career, which is the one we remember the most? You guessed it, the one and only race he didn't win. That's next as the In The Gate podcast continues. Welcome back to In The Game. We're at the point in history where notable accomplishments in the sports world are celebrating their centennial anniversaries. The NFL starts its 100th season in just a few weeks. The infamous Black Sox scandal involving the alleged fixing of the World Series of 1919. And then there's the legendary Man of War. Demostus Hoss, as his groom Will Harbert called him, Man of War raced 21 times. He won... 20 of them, including one by a reported 100 lengths. But there was one race that Man o' War lost, and it came 100 years ago on August 13, 1919 at Saratoga, in the Sanford Stakes. To regale us with this age-old story of the race that may or may not have spawned the sports term upset, we welcome back to the show our good friend the Dean of Horse Racing Journalists, Gary West, so, first of all, Gary, let's set the characters of this little play, Man of War and Upset. Well, going into the um, the Sanford Accords, Man of War was already a horse of formidable reputation. He, he had won 
six races in a what a two month period, and he had won them by daylight, and so he was already being celebrated as a superior racehorse. But he wasn't the invincible man of war that we would come to know in 1920. So there was some opposition, and Sam Riddle's niece-in-law, Sarah Jeffords, had a horse, Golden Broom, who was highly regarded. He won the Saratoga Special, and she was very, very eager to uh, take on Man of War. And so there, there was the rivalry already, Golden Broom and Man of War, and then there was Upset, owned by Harry Payne Whitney of the Whitney family, the most celebrated, prestigious, iconic family in racing. Harry Payne Whitney topped the, uh, the, the the breeders in America, I think, 11 times. He was the leading owner eight times. The son of William Collins Whitney, who's in the Hall of Fame. His son, C.V. Whitney, in the Hall of Fame. His daughter-in-law is Mary Lou Whitney. So Harry Payne Whitney has this horse, Upset, who's also a very good horse, highly regarded. But he was sort of the bit player in this drama going into the Sanford. It was thought to be a match race between Golden Broom and Man of War. Golden Broom very fast, Man of War being this huge horse who who was on his way to superstardom, but many people didn't quite accept that yet. Many people actually thought Golden Broom might be uh, the faster of the two. So Man of War is the odds-on favorite. He is, I think, one to two. Golden Broom is about uh, two to one, and then Upset goes off eight to one. But he took a lot of late money, dropping from 10 to one to eight to one. So when the upset occurs, there's rumor that the fix was in. And that's why the Sanford is one of the most intriguing races in the history of the sport, I think, because of what happened afterwards with uh, Man of War becoming the greatest horse ever to set foot on a racetrack. And with all of these rumors swirling about the fix of the race. And keep in mind, this is 1919. This is one year before America tumbled toward prohibition. This is also 1919, the year of the World Series fix. Alleged so, World Series fix. Alleged, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and so, you know, this is a notorious, robust, freewheeling time. And when something happens that is inexplicable, Naturally, people look toward the rumors of some kind of uh, underhanded um, activity and conspiracy theories abound regarding the 1919 Sanford. But I think if you look at the, at the situation, it was the circumstances that conspired against me in a war that day. First of all, that there was an assistant starter, I'm, I'm sorry, a substitute starter, Charlie Pettengill. The regular starter, Mars Cassidy, celebrated his 57th birthday on the day before, on August 12th. And apparently the celebration went well into the evening. And so the next day, Mars Cassidy called in sick. And the placing judge, 
Charlie Pettengill becomes the stand-in starter. And he already had a reputation, he'd once been a starter, of not being particularly good at this particular job. And uh, that day, according to, by the way, Dorothy Hour's great book um, on Man of War, that day, I believe there were several races that had staggered starts, and there was trouble all day. I heard Man of War broke through the tape five times before the start of that race. Right. He and and so that they, they were having trouble getting the race started. Wait, can we just stop right there? Just confer. Just tell us the evolution of the start of a race, because this was not the era of the starting gate as we know it today, right? Well, well, you're right. This is long before the starting gate, and the horses began behind a barrier that stretched across the track. And usually there, were, there was an assistant starter with the horses trying to get them all lined up. And once they were, the starter would drop the barrier and they're off and rolling. But there, there was no starting gate. And the trick was to time the movement toward the barrier to coincide with the, the start of the race. Some jockeys are very adept at that, and some weren't. Now, apparently, the jockey for upset, Billy Knapp, was not known for getting horses away quickly. Johnny Loftus, the jockey on Man of War, was known for doing this. But apparently this day, he was not at his best. And after several misstarts, he and Man of War were kind of angled toward the rail, when Pettengill let them go, and he broke five to six lengths behind the field, or uh, that's not quite correct. He he broke slowly, but he wasn't he wasn't dead last. But he was five or six lengths behind the leaders, who broke very quickly, and the leaders were Golden Broom, and Upset was right there to his outside. Well, after about a half mile, this is a three quarter mile race, by the way. Man of War is advancing on the rail. He's saving ground. Sam Riddle, the owner, had given him instructions to wait until late to make his move, to not go with the speedy golden broom, to take back and run the last three-eighths or last quarter of a mile. And that's what Johnny Loftus was doing. Keep in mind also that Man of War was carrying 130 pounds. Yes, 130 pounds. As a two-year-old. As a two-year-old, yes. Golden Broom, I think, also had 130 pounds. Uh, upset, 115, I believe, was the weight he carried. So uh, Loftus was reluctant to circle the field under 130 pounds, so he stays on the rail thinking it's going to open up. Well, it doesn't open up. Apparently, at the top of the lane, Loftus is screaming, let me through, let me through. Well, of course, Billy Knapp on, or Willie Knapp as some called him, on upset was not going to let him through at all. Golden Broom is on the rail. Upset is to the outside with, with Man of War directly behind Golden Broom. And at about the, uh, I guess, 316th pole or something, that Golden Broom falters. And so... Man of War has to check and then wheel to the outside and do what Loftus didn't want to do, which was go around everybody. So here we are with an eighth of a mile to run, and he's got a few lengths to make up, and Billy Knapp is riding for all he's worth on upset. And indeed, they pull off the upset. They win by a neck or a half a length with Man of War charging at the wire. It was probably a, a bad ride. In later years, Billy Knapp would 
take credit for keeping a man of war boxed in on the rail. That was the plan. That's what he wanted to do. And he was to the outside there, right on the hip of Golden Broom with, with man of war on the fence, and he wouldn't let him out. And then he made his move as late as possible. So man of war would have to move even later. And and Johnny Loftus would admit that he that he rode a bad race, and apparently he was just completely despondent afterwards. But again, afterwards, there were all these rumors that Knapp and Loftus fixed the race, that the betters made a killing. Well, that doesn't seem very likely. First of all, if the betters are going to make a killing or gamblers make a killing or there's a fix in, uh, man of war isn't going to be odds on. And the odds on upset probably are going to be less than eight to one. So the, the rumors were an effort to explain the inexplicable. The inexplicable in this case being man of war's defeat. But here's something else, and, and Dorothy Alice points this out in her in her book, which which I think is fascinating. On the morning of the Sanford, when uh, Billy Knapp is going to the track about 5:30 in the morning, he sees a trainer, and he tells the trainer, the trainer of upset, that I think we can cash a bet today. Wow. Now that that of course also inspired. The, uh, the many rumors when he told Jimmy Rowe, I think we can cash a bet today on upset. But the reason he said that was, was it because the fix was in or was it because on his way to the racetrack at 530 in the morning, he had just seen Johnny Loftus, who was coming in from the night before, having been at Mars Cassidy's birthday party, which went well into the wee hours. In other words, Loftus was probably a little worse for wear, having having been uh, self-indulgent at this party and would not be at his best. And so uh, Knapp thought that uh, maybe here's an opportunity to uh, take advantage of the jockey who, of course, had just won the Triple Crown on Sir Barton. So upset, pulls off the upsets, and uh, a man of war who goes on to be the greatest horse that we've ever seen goes down as, as this inexplicable loser, but in retrospect, maybe not so inexplicable. A man almost as legendary as the horse man of war, Gary West, is with us here on In the Gate. There are a bunch of delicious little notes to go with this. Marshall Cassidy, the longtime Naira track announcer, was the grandson of Mars Cassidy, the man who was supposed to be the regular starter of that race. And Charles Pettengill, you talked about how he didn't really perform the job of starter very well. I read that at the American Derby at Arlington, it took 90 minutes to get that race started. There were 40 attempts, 40 (laughs) attempts at a start. And this is the guy who started the Sanford that there, there was uh, also there was an incident in, in uh, 1893 where a race was delayed, uh, yes, an hour and a half uh, because Pettengill couldn't get them lined up. And when he, as a placing judge, fills in for Cassidy, he hadn't been a starter for a while. So he, again, was was probably not the best of starters in his prime. And he's probably beyond his prime here. Uh, he was uh, close to retirement age, and he was put in this very stressful situation and did not perform well, apparently. Now, you were talking about the rumors of Johnny Loftus and Billy Knapp. It is true that they were not issued jockey licenses the next year. So somebody must have been taking those 
fixed rumors seriously. Well, that's quite right. There were a lot of people who believed the rumors. Sam Riddle apparently didn't. He never said that he thought the race was fixed. The other connections of Man of War would also deny that uh, they thought that anything was was amiss here. Um, in fact, Man of War's trainer, um, Fustel. Louis Fustel. Right. He said nothing Nothing was amiss here until late in his life. I think he did a uh, an interview where he said that he thought um, something was wrong and, and the gamblers or the jockeys had uh, rigged the race. But he didn't say that until, I think, what, the 1960s, he finally arrived at that conclusion, or at least said that was his conclusion. Now, let's spend just a moment talking about Upset, the horse who won the race. He'd finished second to Man of War at least four times, finished second to Paul Jones in the 1920 Kentucky Derby, in which Man of War did not run because Sam Riddle didn't feel it was necessary because the Triple Crown wasn't yet the Triple Crown. How good do you think Upset was? Upset was a tremendous horse. He ran second in the Preakness to Man of War. He ran second in the Traverse. Uh, he ran second in two stakes as a two-year-old to Man of War, and of course he beat Man of War. He, he was an outstanding horse. No question about that. You know, you mentioned the Kentucky Derby and Paul Jones, who won the Kentucky Derby. Keep in mind that although Matt Wynn by this time had done wonders at Churchill Downs and had uh, boosted the purse of the race considerably from 5,000 up to, by this point, what, 30 or 40,000. And the, the Kentucky Derby was becoming prominent. But still, it was run, what, four days before the Preakness, and it was still in Kentucky. And Kentucky was, from the New York perspective, was way out there. That was the west from New York. And to get there involved a long train ride. So there was considerable travel, and and the Kentucky Derby was not the most prominent race in, in America. The Triple Crown was not even thought of. That didn't come about until 1930 when Charlie Hatton coined the phrase Triple Crown. So it really, Sam Riddle probably didn't even consider the Kentucky Derby because he, he thought a mile and a quarter was too far to run. Uh, Kentucky was too far to go. And there just wasn't that, that great incentive to go there that we saw later. And, of course, in 1919, Sir Barton became the first Triple Crown winner with Johnny Loftus. But the, the Triple Crown wasn't the Triple Crown at all. And the sequence of races wasn't a lapidary and, and wasn't as set as it is now. Now, no one remembers that Man of War beat upset 11 days before the Sanford and then 11 days after the Sanford. In fact, Man of War beat upset six times. But they do remember, of course, upsets win. And apocryphally, it's been said that from that race came the sporting term upset to describe a long shot beating a favorite in all sports. But is it true that the term came from this race? No. You know, I, I once thought that myself. And because it made so much sense. But in fact, the word upset had been used long before upsets victory in the Sanford. Charles Dickens uses the word to mean to disarrange things. And in, even in sports, it had been used, mostly horse racing. It had been used to indicate a surprise outcome. 
before before the 1919 Sanford. So, no, the, the term upset, meaning uh, an unexpected uh, result, didn't come about because of upset's victory over man of war. But I think it's fair to say that after that victory, the term upset gained currency and proliferation. And upset, as it turns out, is a beautiful name for the horse, an appropriate name. I think it's called a apronym, meaning a, a name that is amusingly appropriate to one's profession or endeavor, like Usain Bolt is an apronym. And certainly upset is a beautiful apronym for what happened in the 1919 Sanford. The Washington Post reporter who covered that race felt it necessary to write in his first paragraph, one might make all sorts of puns about it being an upset. So I think we can put that to bed. Now, just as a backdrop to this, and you started to allude to it earlier, just how dominant did Man of War become? Well, I call him the greatest horse of all time. He won the Lawrence realization by a hundred lengths. And that probably says it all. He won the Stuyvesant by eight. He won the Belmont by, what was it, 20 lengths. Um, he ended his career with a seven-length victory. Apparently, he won everything in hand and just galloping away from the competition and set track record after track record. And in fact, uh, there was a, a record set in the Sanford. They, they went three quarters, and I think it was 11 and one or two. And the, the stakes record at that time was 13 flat. And Man of War broke five or six lengths slow. So, so he went uh, three quarters and maybe 10 and change, which, which would have been a, a, a track record at the time. So Man of War was, was incomparable, I think it's fair to say. We've seen so many champion horses beaten at Saratoga Racecourse over the years. Secretariat, American Pharaoh... But the parade started with Man of War, a story that amazingly has resonated now for a hundred years and is probably a much bigger deal now than it was then. Well, what could be better than to share and reminisce this with the one and only Gary West? Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Our thanks to Gary West and Jose Ferrer. When maximum security was disqualified at the Derby, most people's understanding of it was dim. The issue was whether he'd cost the other horses better finishes, not if they would have finished ahead of him. The two different interpretations are codified in the rules that govern racing on a global scale. Each country that runs thoroughbreds has to pick an interpretation and presumably judge races through that veil. Most of the world will not DQ unless the offended horse would have finished ahead of the one committing the sin. If the United States used that baseline, the derby result may have stood. Do you think War of Will would have gone on to win? I know it's hard to believe, but a summit on this is coming in August up at Saratoga Springs. Representatives from around the world will push for uniformity. Will one global standard be what the meeting brings? You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. 
For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.